Well, if you have your Bibles and electronic devices, let me just ask you, click to turn to with me, Job chapter 2. Now, you know we've been in the series. Last week, I started a series. We started going through Job. I entitled this message, Overwhelmed. And listen, I believe God has given me some fresh revelation out of the scriptures. And, uh, but you know what? You're the one that's going to have to be the judge of that, not me. As I, as I worked through these scriptures this last week, God revealed some things to me that really encouraged me for the season that we are in, that spoke to, to my soul in some areas. And so you know that last week we started this series, Job chapter 1, and I looked at, and we talked about when the unexpected happens, and, and we talked about this issue that we have to move from what if to even though. I gave you that word. I gave you that phrase. We ended the Love in Action series with my anxieties with that sermon title, and we looked at this issue of what if, that if you live in a what if world, what if my greatest fear takes place? What if I get sick? What if the pandemic gets worse? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if, that it will feed your worries and anxieties. And then we moved from there. And listen, I did not plan this. I did not trace this out. This is one reason that I preach through books of the Bible, because I don't have to be creative. I'm really not that creative of a person. I don't have to be creative. I just have to allow the scriptures to speak. And then we go into Job. And we looked at this issue when, when the unexpected happens. And all of a sudden, I noticed this word, even though, that Job was an even though person. His wife, Mrs. Job, she was like a what if person. And she was struggling with anxieties and worries and bitterness and all of this other stuff. But Job was different. And then I've learned when we started working through this, and we'll get to it later, then when Job reached the bottom, he moved from an even though person to even deeper person. I didn't know there was a deeper place you could go. And yet I found in Job's life that he moved from even though to something else. And if you want to know what that something else, you've got to hang on and we'll, we'll, we'll get there, okay? But when you go through life and all of a sudden you come to this place when nothing makes sense, and I think a lot of us could say that's where we are, right? We've been in this since March. And I think we could even say now that it just seems like nothing makes sense. I mean, we watch the news, we watch current events, we talk to friends and all this other stuff. And we could all say, you know what, we're in this season when, when things may not make sense. And here's the danger of that, and here's the truth of that. When you go through crisis, when you go through difficulty, when nothing makes sense, relationships around you can be strength. And all of a sudden, you can, you can be tempted. Listen, you can be tempted just to walk away. You can be tempted to isolate, walk away, give up. We know that is true in the Scripture. See, that's why Psalm 68, 6 tells us, don't do life alone. Stay in community. In other words, we need each other. We need each other in crisis. We need each other in difficulty. There's a story that, that Brady Boyd told me and has told others, and, and it's just really stuck with me. Um, and it's a story that he told that he became a pastor. When he became a pastor at a young age, goes back to his church in Louisiana. In Louisiana, there was this, in his home church, there was this man, he was a really wise man, he was, he, he was very mature in the scriptures, and he was a Vietnam vet, and he served in Vietnam in special forces. And so Brady had gone back to his home church, and this man pulled him to the side and says, hey, Brady, I want to tell you a story, I don't want you to ever forget this story. And so Brady's like, sure. And so he says, listen, when I was in Vietnam, I was in special forces, uh, we received orders that we had to clear a house. And, and we knew it was going to be a firefight. We knew it was going to be difficult. We had given strict orders. It'd be no survivors and that whole deal. And so in the cover of darkness, we, we were out in front of the house. We made our plans. We were going to go in. We were going to clear the house. And then once we clear the house, we would, we would, our meetup place would be in the, in the courtyard. There'd be a tree and we'd meet up there. He said, we went into the house, and he said, it was a firefight, and it, it, it was vicious, and it ended up being a hand-to-hand -hand combat, combat, 
combat deal. And he said, and you know what? I, I made it out. I got to the tree and we start counting off and we realized, guess what? All of our team members had made it. It was amazing. All of our team members had made it. We had no casualties. We, we achieved our goal. And then we were celebrating. And all of a sudden, my buddy looks down at me and he points to my leg. And he says, he says you got a knife stuck out of your leg. And he said, I looked and there, there's a knife. And there's a knife stuck out of my leg. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it because the adrenaline was flowing so strong through my body. I was numb to my pain. I was numb to what was going on. And all of a sudden, he looked down and he said, you got a knife stuck in your leg. And, and he said, they, they pulled it out and they rendered first aid and they helped me. And he said, Brady, there's times you're going to go through life and you're going to go through crisis and there is going to be a knife stuck in your leg and you're not even going to need it. I'm not even going to know it. And you're going to need people around you. They can look over at you with love and with grace and say, there's a knife in your leg. You have pain in your life. You have bitterness in your life. And you don't even realize it. See, we're in this series of Job, and I think this series has a lot to, to apply to our life and to the season that we're in. Job, Job must have believed this. Job must have believed that community is important even when it's difficult. Community is important even when it's strained. Because you need people around you that can help you to know that you're in pain. Job was like the best of the best. He was a good man. He was a devoted husband. He was a devoted father. Um, we learned last week bad things do happen to good people. We learned don't expect life to be perfect because life is not perfect. And then we learned that Job's life had, had fallen apart. One day Job is a multimillionaire, and then the next day he's like penniless. And he had lost everything. He had lost his, his, his children. He had lost his home. He had lost his job. He had lost his profession. Uh, uh, possessions, his income, he'd lost his health. I mean, Job is like in this, this perfect storm. And once he's very wealthy and now he's penniless. And then Job 19.16, and I'll get to Job chapter 2 as we work through the points, but I just want to give you this. Job 19.16 says this. Job says, I called to my servant, but he gives no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. Job is like, the, there's a constant reminder to me of what I've lost, of what has been changed. There was a time. There was a time when I texted, emailed, phone called my employees, and because they were on the payroll, because I paid them, because I was successful, because I was a means of income for them, that they returned my emails, they returned my phone calls, they returned my text messages. When I needed help, you know what? They helped me. That is no longer the case. See, when, you, when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through a pandemic, when you're going through a situation, there can be a constant reminder of what we lost, a constant reminder of what has is, what is changed, right? I mean, we have that. I mean, whenever I, I go to a grocery store or come to church and you put on a mask, it's just a reminder. Every time we put on a mask, it's a reminder to us that things are not the same. Things that were once simple are now complex. Getting family together, getting friends together, because guess what? Everybody has different views over mask or no mask, social distancing, not social distancing. And once what was very simple is now just like complex, and it's a constant, listen, it's a constant reminder. Every time I go to the doctor, once a quarter I have to go to the doctor to control my cough. Many of you know that I've struggled from speaking so much with a cough, and, and so it doesn't um, uh, damage my vocal cords. Once a quarter I have to go to the doctor. And it's still a reminder to me when the waiting room is in a parking lot and they call me and I come in, I wear a mask, he wears a mask, and it's just different. 
See, this is what Job is saying. Job is saying, see, this is what... This is what the crazy thing is about a crisis and difficulty. See, Job is learning that sometimes it doesn't get better with time. Sometimes it gets worse. Have you ever noticed that? The constant stress, the constant pressure, the constant state of of change and the things that are changing. And sometimes, sometimes navigating through a crisis with time, it doesn't get better. It can get worse. And we're learning that in our life as well. And once Job was very healthy and now he has physical problems. Scripture says he boils all over his body. And the only way he can get relief is take clay pottery and break it and then scrape off the boils at night. Which the, Couldn't there be a better treatment than that? And then you look at Scripture and you realize all of his physical problems. I mean, his face was constantly red from crying so much. Because of his illness, because of his disease, his breath was offensive to his wife and to his friends. They didn't want to be around him. When he'd go out in public, what the scripture tells us, little children run up to him and make fun of him and laugh at him. He lost a tremendous amount of weight to where people didn't even recognize him. There was one point, listen, one point in Job's life, just so we keep it real, one point in Job's life, the scripture says that he had so much fear of the future, his body began to tremble. Unbelievable anxiety he had to deal with. His nights were difficult. He never slept through the night. He had trouble sleeping through the night. His skin was like turning black in some areas, and he was like peeling that skin off, and his life absolutely fell apart. And then Mrs. Job, right? Mrs. Job lived in a what-if land. She was so overwhelmed, she just told Job at the lowest moment, just curse God and die. Shouldn't ever be too hard on Mrs. Job because it even shocked Job. Job said, woman, who are you? You're talking like the ladies down at the mall. You're talking about somebody like, like someone that doesn't believe in God. Who are you? I don't even know who you are. It even shocked him. Job 6.10, he said, Job at a low point says, This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. And notice, I, I've kept my word. For what is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones or flesh of bronze? In other words, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I'm tough enough. Have I any help in me when resources is driven from me? Verse 14 is so critical for us to understand. Verse 14 says this. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, a torrential streams that pass away. In other words, what Job is saying is, my friends, they're, they're there sometimes and they're not there sometimes. And then all of a sudden, verse 14, he says, hey, he who withholds kindness... From a friend forsakes the Almighty. Job is saying in crisis, you have to to up the grace quotient. You have to up the kindness quotient. You know, when we went in this together, I I gave you the fellowship five, just the five principles we're going to lead our church by, um, that we were going to be flexible and we were going to re-enter with a prayerful uh, slow return. We're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, and you know we're care about the mental, and the emotional, and the spiritual health of people. All of those things, but one of them was this: that we were going to extend grace to one another. You know what I've learned through this? In a crisis, extending grace to one another sometimes the most difficult thing to do, especially when someone disagrees with your point of view. Even within families, I'm hearing this right. I'm hearing this from emails. I'm hearing this from phone calls. I'm hearing this and talking with people. I'm even experiencing this, right? That even within families, even within close friends, that if we're not careful, it's hard for us to extend grace to one another. 
Extend just kindness. This is what Job is saying. In a crisis, we have to up the grace and kindness quotient. We have to understand that everybody's carrying something. Job was even kind to his wife when she said, just curse God and die. And he says, it, it, this doesn't even sound like you. This, this is not who you are. So I want to give you three things. I want to give you three things that you will struggle with going through a crisis. And then we're going to take communion. I am preaching towards the bread and the juice. I am preaching towards the table right now. Because our hope is only in him. Our hope is moving from an even though to something much deeper life than that. And so the first thing is this, that you're going to struggle with when you go through a crisis. You will struggle with your relationships with your family and friends. Because we're all carrying something. A lot of us are exhausted. A lot of us are mentally or emotionally, physically exhausted. It's, it's a constant daily reminder of how things are changing. Job 19, 14, here's what Job says. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have, and they like forgotten me. I mean, Job's three friends, we know this. We'll look at this. Job's three friends came to see him in crisis when, when a friend or relative or goes through a difficulty. The most, listen, the most important thing you can do is to make contact, not break contact off. And sometimes, right, sometimes we're tempted not to make that phone call, not to send that text message, not to send that card, not to reach out to someone, but going through a crisis because we don't know what to say. It's just awkward. So we don't know what to say, and that keeps us, listen, I'm telling you, that keeps us a lot of times from not reaching out. I mean, what do you say to someone that's going through a crisis? What do you say to someone that's been diagnosed with a terminal illness? What do you say to someone that's going th that has lost a job or going through deep hurt or has lost a child or lost their, whatever it is? What do you say to that individual? A lot of times, a lot of times we're tempted just to pretend like nothing has happened and ignore it, and, and that doesn't help at all. And so Job's three friends, they at least come and see him. And what's in interesting to me, it's only three friends. Job was an influential man. He, was, he, he, he had a lot of employees. He had, a, he had a country club membership. He was active in his community. He had a lot of business relationships. He had a lot of business friends. Job was known, and yet only three friends showed up. You know what, in a crisis, you know what you're going to learn? You're going to learn who your real friends are. You will no longer have to guess. You'll no longer have to wonder. In a crisis, guess what? A church learns who the core is. I mean, you just learn these things in a crisis. And so, so Job's three friends come and look at, here's their reaction, Job chapter 2, verse 12. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word for him or to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. Now listen, that reaction may seem strange to you. But actually it's the most helpful healing thing you can do. They were, listen, they were willing, I'm telling you, they were willing to step into his pain. They're just willing to step in. They mourned. They wept. They didn't excuse it away. They didn't try to play God in his life and theologically tell him why this was happening, what was going on in his life. Instead, listen, instead they just sat with him for three days or a week and didn't say a word. As a pastor of the people that I've walked through 
in intense pain, many have said the same thing. You know what? I've, I've said the same thing. When I've done and been in some difficult seasons of my life, just those people that were willing just to come and sit with you. It's called the ministry of, of presence, that they minister to you just by being there and not giving any answers. And they understood the, t- the, the timing. So Job's three friends had been there about a week. And all of a sudden, Job started trying to press out, uh, uh, process out of his pain publicly. And, and then all of a sudden, they, they moved to the mode. They wanted to fix him. Job, it's been a week. Suck it up. You've been sad long enough. Let's get moving. His friends told him some things that are actually true. I give you the biblical references, and, but let me, let me just read the, the phrases to you. Uh, they, they told him, God will rescue you. You will laugh at famine. You will own property again. You will have more children, and you will die a rich man. All of those things are true. Just poor timing. Man, I've told you that Karen has just, she has told me over and over and over that when someone comes to the place in their life, they're open and they're vulnerable with you, and they tell you about their hurt and their pain and what they're walking through, you're now standing on holy ground. And you better ask the Holy Spirit how to steward that time, how to move forward. Everything that these men said were true. That's not the issue. just wasn't the right time. It doesn't help a parent that has lost a child to say, no worries, you're still young, you can have another one. They will scream at you and say, I I want mine back. It doesn't help a mom and a dad that's gone through a miscarriage and say, you can still have more children. And this is what his friends were struggling with. And, And Job's friends didn't understand his hurt. They didn't understand his loss. And they didn't understand his pain. Listen, can I just tell you, there's no way, no way, no way. You can measure the pain of another. Because you're not living it. Can I just speak to the the Jobs out there? (laughs) Try to be patient with your friends. And extend grace when they tell you something that's true, but it's just the wrong time. Try to extend grace and kindness to them and understand that they have just misunderstood you, they would misunderstood the hurt and the pain that you're carrying, because there's some that will try, listen, there are some, they mean well, they're going to try to help you. They just don't understand, or they've never walked through that ever in their life. But at the same time, you do need to develop some friends that have walked through that can look at you and tell you, you know what, I think you have a, I think you have a knife in your leg, because I'm, I'm in the fight with you. I've, I've been there. Listen, don't expect more out of your friends than your friends can deliver. I believe Job's friends were doing the best they can, and the healthiest thing that Job did is Job stayed in community even though it was hurtful and painful. I mean, God's word is clear. He heals us in community. Comfort comes from God, but he comes through. The comfort of God comes through people. Galatians 6.12 says, it just says we're to bear one of those burdens of our own. It doesn't say we're supposed to explain them doesn't say we're supposed to give a theological answer. It says, you know what? We walk beside someone and we help this picture as we help them bear the load. And we have a, we have a responsibility to minister to one another but not play God in each other's life. And that's what his friends were trying to do. 
And the scripture says that you also have a burden. Galatians 6, 5, for each will have to bear his own load to where we have to bear the load that we've been given. So Job needed his friends. His friends needed him. At Job chapter 42, towards the end of the story, all of a sudden that Job and his friends, they have this moment. And God had told Job, you know what? You need to pray for your friends. This is when Job forgave his friends. This is when Job stayed in community. And these, these four guys were probably the best of best friends from this moment forward. Here's what it says, Job 42, 7. And the Lord had spoken these words to, uh, to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant has. In other words, you've misrepresented me. You tried to play God in, in their life. There's a difference of playing God in someone's life and coming alongside of them and helping them discern God's will for their life. Verse 8, now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant has. So you see that twice. You have not spoken to me what is right. So God is really emphasizing that. He wants them to understand that. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namanite uh, went and did what the Lord had told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. It was probably that reunion, right? They were probably best friends from this point forward. So the first thing in a crisis, you're going to struggle with relationship with friends and family. Second thing is this, you're going to struggle with your relationship with God. You're going to struggle when life doesn't make sense, where is God? Is he with me? Is he not with me? Why is he quiet? Job, Job, listen, Job was an even though person, right? And we got that out of Job 13, 15. We're going to watch how this progresses in this. So Job 13, 15 says this. It's going to come up on the screen. And it says this. I said even though in the ESV, it, it renders it though he, even though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my case to his face. In other words, Job was like, even though, even though the worst thing happens to me, guess what? I understand. I will hope in him. My hope is in him. Listen, I honestly thought that was the deepest form of life you could live, is the, even though. And then all of a sudden I realized six chapters later when Job hits rock bottom, even though did not cut it for Job. And Job had to move deeper. And Job moved for, for, to a person of far I know. Far I know. My feelings aren't going to determine what I know. My emotions aren't going to determine what I know. My circumstances far enough. Look at this, Job 19.25. Here's what the scripture says. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and the last he will stand upon the earth. That is a prophetic word right there. That is looking to the future. And Job came to the place and says, you know what? For, here's what I know. God lives. My Redeemer lives, the one that forgave me of my sins. And one day he's coming back. One day he's coming back to get his church, the second coming, to judge the living and the dead. He's going to stand. It's for revelation for us. He's going to stand on this world. He's going to, he's going to rule. It's going to be a perfect place where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more hurt, no more pain, no more disease, no, none of that. That I know what he's saying. For I know my Redeemer now he lives, but guess what? He's in control. 
See, for Job, he had to move for a far I know person because nothing around him made sense. He is really struggling. I mean, in his pain, it seems like God is so distant. He's like, where is God? You ever been like that? You ever gone through crisis before in your life? It is so emotional. It is so painful. You're wondering where God is? Job 13, 24. Why do you hide your face and count me as an enemy? Job 23, 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to in even to his seat. I may lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job 23, 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand when he's working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way I take. For when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job 30, 20. I cry to you for help, but you do not answer. Is he struggling or what? That's why he had to move for far I know. Far I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand on the earth one day. In verse, it says, Job 30, 20, And I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. How do you react when your life falls apart, when pain is relentless, when nothing makes sense, when you're overwhelmed? This is when we have to move from even though to far I know. That's why we have to know the promises of God. That's why we have to know his word. That's why we have to know that he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. That The word teaches us. See, there is a big difference when we go through times when, when it seems like that he's not close to us. We have to rely on, listen, we have to rely on what we know and not what we don't know. A what-if person lives in the land of what we don't know. What if? And even though far I know person lives in the land of what I know, here's what I know. God is my redeemer. And one day he's going to stand on it. Here's what I know. He's still in control. I may not get it. I may not understand it. Listen, there is a big difference between God's silence and God's absence. Don't confuse the two. Let me just help you just real quickly. If you're here this morning, God seems distance from you. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with your emotions. The third and the last thing that you're going to struggle with when you go through difficulty is this, is your relationship with yourself. Is your relationship with yourself. In other words, you're going to have to guard against bitterness. You're going to have to guard against anger. You're going to have to guard against judging people who have different philosophy or different viewpoints or whatever. You're going to have to, I'm telling you, you have to learn to extend grace. You're going to have to learn to cut people slack. You're going to have to extend, learn to extend kindness. We praise Job for his faith, but he battled. He battled doubt. He battled fear. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible's just so real. He battled depression. He battled fear because his pain was ongoing, self-pity. There's anger sprinkled all through this book. Job 3, 1 and 4. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born in the night that said a man is conceived. Let the day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it. And 
What happened to the guy in the first two chapters that says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's, Job's struggling. Job 3.11. Why did not expire at birth and come out of the womb expired? Job 3.26. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Job 7.7. 7, remember that my life is a breath, but my eye will never see good again. He's struggling. My spirit is broken, Job 17, 1. My spirit is broken, my days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Job 17, 11, my days are past. My plans are broken off and the desires of my heart. When there was no end in sight of Job's pain, he struggled. He struggled with his relationship with friends and family. He struggled with his relationship with God. He struggled with his relationship with himself and he even came to the place where he despaired life. And, and can I, just real quickly, can I just stop right here? Whether you're watching online or whether you're in person and you're at this point and you're despairing even life, and we know, we know from statistics, all of those statistics are going up, whether it's addictions, whether it's suicide, whether it's mental illness. I, I just want you to know we're a church that wants to help you. And we're a church that wants to come alongside of you and minister. This is real. This is just real. If you're watching online right now, you can go up to the top of the screen. You can click live prayer. And a prayer partner will meet you in a virtual room. And we'll come alongside of you. We'll minister to you. We'll help you. There's ways in person that you can do that as well. There's a QR code. You can use that. You can talk to a pastor after the service. But we want to come alongside and help you. All of my life, I've heard, and probably as you, People would look at another person that seemed like had a lot of patience, right? And say, oh, you have the patience of Job. You ever heard that? Where people will say, hey, you have the patience of Job. You know what? I've read through Job's life several times. He had no patience. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. I don't know who started that. Someone started that, and everybody's like repeating that. But that is not Job. Job did not have patience. The Bible never says Job had patience. That's just something we say. There's something deeper that the Bible did say. In fact, is James. In the New Testament, James says this about Job. Job 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. That's what he had. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Listen, Job had steadfastness. You know what steadfastness means? The ability to remain under. So big Hebrew word, it's the, or Greek word in James, that means the ability to remain under pain, the ability to remain under difficult circumstances, the ability to remain under difficult, questionable circumstances, remain in community, and continue to follow him, and say, for I know, for I know my Redeemer lives, and one day, one day he's going to stand on the earth, and he's going to be in total control where there is no more pain. There is no more hurt. There is no more difficulty in life. That it will be a perfect place. My verse that God gave me for 2020 was in December of 1999. I'm sorry, December of 2019. And God gave me a verse out of Deuteronomy that says, guard your soul, protect your soul. Normally, I preach my verse for the next year, and I could not that year because I didn't know. I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't know if it was just for me. I didn't know if it was for a congregation. I did not know. 
I never knew how much I would need that verse in 2020 that you better protect your soul. You better guard your soul. You better protect your soul so you don't get bitter and angry and judgmental and all of those other things. That's why it's so important for us this morning to take communion. Each one of you were given a a communion cup as you came in with the bread on one side and the juice on the other. And so in just a few minutes, I will guide you through this and and you'll, you'll open up the bread container and we'll take that. And then just real important, in case you weren't with us last, last time we did this, and then before you open the juice container, you're going to want to flip it over, right? We will know who you are <laughs> in the lobby, and Pastor Dwayne probably will make fun of you because he's not as sensitive as me. But I think it's important this morning that we take up communion together and we say, this is what we know. That Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, came to this earth and lived this earth, on this earth, without any sin. And he was the perfect lamb. And he went to the cross on our behalf. And he took on my sin, he took on your sin. And he was crucified on the cross, and on the third day he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, and he's made a promise to us that there is coming a day when I'm coming back for my church. And I'm going to judge the living and the dead. And I will make all things new. And I will make all things right. And so I think it's good this morning that we just pause, whether it's in our homes, from watching online, whether it's in person, and say, for I know. For I know my Redeemer lives. Even in a pandemic, even in a perfect storm, global recession, global pandemic, highly, highly, highly volatile election year. My Redeemer lives. Job, at the end of Job chapter 42, verse 1, Job makes this statement. He makes a for I know statement again. And he says, God, I know. I know that you can do anything. And no one no one can stop you. God, I know you're in control. I may not get it. I may not understand it. God, you're in control. You're in control. So this morning, we take of the bread, reminding ourselves that we're putting our trust in him. And for I know, my Redeemer lives, and he's coming back. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that we can just pause and remember what we know. As we take of the bread and then in a few minutes take of the juice, may it just be a reminder that our Redeemer lives and because of your, your sacrifice on the cross that we are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved. We're perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And we are yours. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take of the bread with me? And then before we take of the juice, let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your blood on the cross, for without it there'd be no forgiveness of sin. 
And Father, we just ask that we would remember that we are totally and completely forgiven. That we're deeply loved in you. And that, Father, there is a difference. between feeling that you're not close to us. There's a difference in your silence and there's a difference in your being with us and we know that you're with us. May we sense your presence now as we take of this juice for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you please stand with me for our benediction as we're dismissed? Again, I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you how appreciative I am of you, whether you're watching online, whether you're in person, that we can steward the mysteries of God together. We can just walk, walk through books of the Bible verse by verse and allow them to speak to us. For our benediction this morning, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you peace this week. May you know the peace of Christ this week. God bless you. May you have a great day.